Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hiya, thanks for downloading the show. My name is Susan Kalman. I'm a comedian and this is my podcast, Mrs Brightside, a cheerful take on depression. Today I'm talking to Bethany Black. I remember growing up and the only sort of representation of mental health of any kind was uh, Howling Mad Murdoch off of the 18. Oh yeah. Which massively <laughs> oversold the benefits <laughs> and how much fun it would be. Yeah, he had a lot of fun. <laughs> I've never stolen and flown a plane and, and that is one of my great regrets. <laughs> I've known Bethany a very long time. We started out in comedy about the same time and she has a fascinating life, a fascinating story, a fascinating journey in comedy as well and I couldn't wait to, to talk to her just one on one about her life, about mental health, about anxiety, because she's one of the strongest women I've ever met. And it turned out she's even stronger than I thought she was. I like this bit, which is the yeah. bit where I tell you we're about to go. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. That's, Don't speak yet, Beth. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, it's quiet. testament to how well my career is going that I'm sitting on a warm spring day in a basement in Soho talking about mental health issues. Um, in this episode, I'm joined uh, by Bethany Black. Hello. Yes, you are allowed to speak to Bethany. <laughs> oh, I can speak now. Yeah, right, speak okay, now. Cool. Bethany, would you like to introduce yourself to the people listening? Hello, I'm Bethany Black. and uh, I, <laughs> I don't know, like, it's always, oh, how do you, how do you, like, do you need, what What do you need to know about me? Well, what, what do you want to like, know? What would you like to um, say? I'm, I'm like properly mental. I know right. that much. They, wow. Which is, which is okay. a good. Usually people start with like their career, but oh, I mean, no, you no. could well, go you straight know, in with that. Yeah. Well, my career has basically been me attempting to monetize my mental illness. Um, right. That's that's been the big the big chunk of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a comedian. I'm I, I've accidentally ended up with an acting career. Never mm-hmm. intended to do that. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I've I've been a comedian for about fifteen years now. About the same. We started probably about the same time. We didn't did. We? Yeah, I think we started. Yeah, it was roughly around about the same. You, me, and Sarah Millican all started around about the same Who? time. Yeah, I know. Whatever happened to her? I know. Where's she on a day like this? <laughs> Not in a basement in Soho. I'll tell you that. She's sitting in our house going, not doing that. Not doing that. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking for, at both of you going, I wish I'd worked for harder. For the record, Sarah Milken would have done this if she was available. I'm sure she would have. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this podcast, uh, there, there aren't actually any parameters about no. what we're talking about. It's, I, I, I just think talking about depression, mental health, whatever you want, anxiety, yes. in any way is a positive thing. Yeah. Because... Hopefully there'll be less shame about it, less stigma about it. And do you know what? It's actually quite good fun. Yeah, it is. Two depressed people having a chat is actually quite funny. It is, yeah. Just, yeah, because I think a lot of when you're laughing, it's that moment of forgetting that you have, it's it's the moment of forgetting any existential crisis that you may have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like chatting about it, it does make it easier. It does make it easier to talk about because like 
I remember growing up, and the only sort of the only sort of representation of mental of mental health of any kind, poor or good, was uh, Howling Mad Murdoch off of the eighteen. Oh yeah, which massively <laughs> oversold the benefits <laughs> and how much fun it would be. Yeah, he had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. He had loads of fun. Like he got to fly planes regularly. He got to knock out Mister T. He did all of these things. Which is not the reality of being a depressed person in the United Kingdom in 2018. No, it's not. No. I've, there's a, I've never, I've never stolen and flown a plane, and <laughs> and that is one of my great regrets. <laughs> Why not? I know. Um, so uh, let's start from the very beginning. Yeah. Very good place to start. Yeah. Of course. I have been depressed as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Right. Just lucky like that. Yeah. My anxiety and depression has changed throughout the years, but essentially, I don't ever really remember being huge, not not happy. But there's always been something niggling away that's made me sadder than other children, for example. Yeah. Uh, when were you aware of the fact that you were uh, sadder than perhaps others were? I must have been from um, very very young. Like it must have been about six or seven mm-hmm. when I like really started to go. Oh, right. Life is terrible. (laughs) Um, And I'm just, I don't fit into this world and nothing is ever going to be right about it. And the fear, it was a lot of it came from fear, I think, initially. A lot of it was just like, okay, because if I tell anybody, because I'm supposed to be happy, you're a kid, you're supposed to be happy. What have you got to be worried about? My favourite thing. Yeah. Hey, hey, what have you got to be sad about? Well, everything's fine. Yeah, everything's great. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. apart from that massive weight that's crushing my chest and the inability to breathe <laughs> yeah. um, when I'm in the middle of a party where everyone else is having an absolutely fantastic time and I feel more lonely than I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember I remember feeling quite young because uh, one of the... Yeah, cause also because I'm trans, right, which I don't... which people uh, may or may not know about me. And uh, that always confuses people as well, because because um, I'm also a lesbian, which people because people always go, oh, so you were born a man, which is rubbish. Uh, no one was um, baby. That's that's the usual size and age to be born. And um, yeah, and 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 so the way I always see it is that it's it's like a bit of admin that needed sorting out. Right. That when I was born, they got this one. They went and made an assumption based on an incomplete set of data, and based on that, a load of other things that then happened in my life happened that probably shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I've had to deal with that and spend a lot of time trying to sort all of the admin related to that out. Mm-hmm. So there's no sort of like, you know, because people have this idea when you talk about growing up trans of like, oh no, there you were, a little boy getting on with it, and and suddenly, oh, you found lipstick and makeup and went, oh. <laughs> I think I want to be a girl. And it's not that at all. It was this massive sense of, of not quite, not just not fitting in with the world, but also not fitting in in my own skin. Mm-hmm. Just something about me wasn't right. And the way that I, the way that I related to myself and the way that I related to the world mm-hmm. and not as some people seem to think, you know, gender is all about gender roles and, you know, uh, and reinforcing stereotypes and stuff like that. There's none of that that's sort of going on. Uh, anyone who's who's met me in the flesh knows that. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you specifically, yeah. apart from the fact I know you, yeah, yeah. is 
there's a very interesting thing of if you look back on newsreels about lesbians yeah. 25 years ago, it's, it's astonishing what's said about us. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, there is a fashion for talking about trans at the moment. And I get frustrated because I never hear anyone who's actually in that situation talk. Yeah. You hear panels of people talking about what it's... It's the same as when you when you hear a discussion about breast cancer in women and the effect, and there's not a single woman asked to speak about what it's like to have breast cancer as a woman. Yeah. And it seems to me that all of these things, it makes me angry that for some reason they don't actually ask the people who've no, been through it. No, they don't. And what they, cause what they try and do is, I don't know, it's almost like this illusion of balance that a lot of people have this, this thing, well, what you need to do is you need to get some people who are pro and some people who are anti, but if you're too close to it, then you can't be an unbiased voice. So let's go and get these people who are discussing whether or not these people have the right to exist. Um, and we'll call that balance. And it's like that, it isn't. It's, um, yeah, it's... it's <sighs> Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to sort of... It's not a difficult thing to talk about, really. It's You don't get involved and you don't get included as much. Um, and also because a lot of the time, especially in the, in the newspapers, and this goes right across the political spectrum from, from the far left to the far right, like right the way across, there are people all through there who all have this idea that trans issues... And transgender people and trans people are somehow a thought exercise and that they're not talking about actual living, breathing people who yes. exist. It's it's like a, like they're talking about some sort of theoretical tribe that lives off in the wild jungles of an uncharted island that no one's ever, ever seen and how they might interact if they were to be allowed to deal with normal people. It's the same way I felt when people were talking about equal marriage. Yeah. A bunch of people sat and discussed whether I had the right... To get married. Yeah. Me. A, a human being on this planet, you're talking about whether or not I have the right. And I don't think they equated it to actual actual people. Actual yeah, no, people. So when you hear a discussion of a group of people, I, I just... It, it just makes me it makes me very nervous. Yeah, because I think you need to include people when you're talking about them. I think that's that's the thing. If you if you're talking about a group, I mean, it's the in 2003 the Gender Recognition Act came through. I think it was enforced in 2004, which meant that if you were trans, you could apply to have your birth certificate updated with the correct information. And and ever since then, you've been able to do that. And one of the caveats that they made with that was that in order to do that, you had to get two doctor's notes, one from the psychiatrist, one from your doctor. Um, you then had to... There's a fee that you need to do because you needed to get a letter from a solicitor, which I think costs about £1,000 to get sorted out. Um, and then it had to go in front of a panel of cisgender people who would have a look through all of your medical information and the letters that had been sent and decide whether or not you were trans enough to be considered trans and then if they did decide that they never met you they never looked at you they just looked at the looked at the paperwork and if they decided that you were were uh, were were real and <laughs> that you weren't messing about 
and weren't trying to Having do this. Having a laugh. Yeah, yeah, for the laugh, just, you know, to try and get into to changing rooms or whatever it is that people think. <laughs> just to try and get into toilets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my people think, what if you turned around and next to you was, was, was a man pretending to be a woman? And the reason it makes me laugh is that's what they used to say about gay people. Yeah, it is. That's yeah, yeah. the thing. In, in terms of the prejudice that there is about in society, it seems to have moved on to this entire... Remember, you know, probably older than you, leaflets put through the door. All gay people are paedophiles. Yes. All gay people are blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same scare tactics. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And one of the things is, you know that loneliness you were talking about? I mean, yeah. I, I completely, I, loneliness is one of the most horrific feelings in the entire world. Yeah. And when I was growing up, no internet. Mm. Good days. Yeah, same. No internet. Glasgow was okay, mm. but you know, <laughs> not fabulous for for the gays yeah. in the early late eighties. Yeah. And I just felt lonely. Yeah, and so much of that isolation has informed my depression in later life yeah. of that loneliness. And one of the reasons why I think it's important to talk about both of our experiences is I know that somewhere out there there is a lonely little kid. Yeah wanting to find information or just know there's someone else out there like them yeah absolutely i remember being um i remember because i grew up in i grew up in the countryside like i grew up in a tiny village of less than 200 people in the northwest of england in the 1980s and i had never felt so like i just felt like i was the only person in the world who felt like i did and i remember uh, and any time that I would see anything that was on in any media, like on TV or in, in the news or anything like that, I would latch onto that. And for years, the only representation that you got of trans people were sort of Jerry Springer show type mm-hmm. uh, reveals that someone was trans and had been secretly tricking someone to in order to make them go out with them. And, and that just felt like, because I, I didn't relate to that and I couldn't like get some sort I couldn't really find any way to sort of latch onto that as as anything that was relevant to my life and the first thing that sort of changed that in any way was um was when uh Julie Hesmanhalsh was playing yes. Haley on Coronation Street which which um was just like which you know you look at it now and you go right okay like how that was such a big thing and 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 the thing that really struck me about that, the thing that I remembered so much about that was um, after, in a couple of weeks after the reveal had come about of, of her character being trans, there was uh, someone had written a letter to the Radio Times about how great it was to suddenly have this transgender character who wasn't sort of all glamorous, who wasn't, it was just someone who's trying to get on with their life, who was just trying to, you know, go about go about their day-to-day activity. And I remember reading that and, and for the first time felt like I wasn't on my own in the world and bizarrely like 20 years later met the person who wrote that letter because uh, it's Annie Wallace who's now in Hollyoaks um, and we're great friends and it seems just so odd that you know someone who was she was off in, in Lanarkshire writing this mm-hmm. writing this letter to the Radio Times and that me in a little me this sort of like 14 15 year old in Lancashire in the middle of nowhere was able to sort of have this connection to a larger world that actually meant something that made me go, yeah, I'm not on my own, was just, it meant the world to me. And and and, the, and I think the other thing is, because of the, the just the, the rep- representations that I've seen 
both growing up and, and as an adult, it kind of puts me off whenever anything goes, oh, there's a transgender character in this, because I go, oh. Yeah. Oh, is it going to be awful? Is it going <laughs> to make? Is it going to be really cliched? Is it going to make me feel awful for days? Well, it's even worse the lesbian aspect because we're always uh, psychopath yeah. serial killers, or we die in after we find love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We find love and die, or we kill everyone else who finds love. Yeah, yeah, because we we can't be happy for anyone a else. A lesbian character who obsesses about recycling. Do you know what I mean? There's never there's never a lesbian character who obsesses about their pets, which yeah. seems far more realistic to me. What's the thing about that? Do you remember Lip Service on yes. BBC Three, which was incredibly glamorous women living in Glasgow? Yeah. Number one, none of those women lived in Glasgow. Yeah. I would have found them. Yeah. Number two, no lesbians lived in houses like that. Yeah. Number three, no one had a cat. That is a factual fallacy. Yeah, yeah. Factual fallacy. And number four, none of them ever, ever, ever did any recycling. I mean, where do they think cats come from? Lesbians. Yeah, that's where, they come, that's from. where they come that's from. Where they Everyone come from. knows that. Everyone knows that. Yes. Yeah, lesbians, we rub belly buttons and then <laughs> three months later a kitten a appears. Kid comes <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, thinking, what do lesbians do in bed? Yeah. We make cats. We make cats. That's we make what happens. Cats. Yeah. So I liked comedy. Did you? I did. Oh, good. I no longer do. Yeah, no. Uh, full of weirdos and freaks talking yeah, yeah. about weird stuff. Yeah, yeah right? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I, I struggle with freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. I think I think you can, I think you can say what you like as long as you stand at the end of the bar at the end of the evening and let someone say something to you. Yeah. Now, I'm going to sound wishy washy and snowflakey here. <laughs> I stopped wanting to do circuit gigs. Yeah. Because I was a compere, as you know. Yeah. So I was the one that had to go out and go, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on stage your first acting. Yeah. And then at the end, you have to go. That was that was amazing, wasn't it? That was blah blah blah. And I did a Saturday night or a Sunday night where it was awful. Mm. It was misogynistic. It was homophobic. It was just some of the racist yeah. stuff I've seen. And I said, I, ca- I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And Jeremy Hardy interestingly said to me, yeah. "Just go and do your own shows." Yeah. And surely it's better if three people come and see you who want to hear you than you perform in front of three hundred people who laugh at some of the worst jokes. I mean, just. Horrific jokes. Oh, yeah. Now, you... I remember you at the Fringe under Underbelly, probably. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Best show title in the world. Mm-hmm. Beth Becomes Her. Yeah. Still singular, the best <laughs> show title ever at the Fringe. And it also, for a pun title, fitted the, the, na- fitted the nature of the Which show Which is odd, because well. usually we just go, the Calman before the storm. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Crystal Beth. You know, it's... Um, we do these cool, <laughs> cool, these show titles in January before we've written a word of yeah, the show. You don't know what often. the show is. Yeah, yeah, and you've, and you've had to write sixty words about what the show is. On, yeah, it's, it's like that thing of on during the holidays. I went to, and you do that, and then you go. Yeah. Oh, if you're a comedy fan and you wonder why the fringe, so many comedians have pun show titles. It's because we don't know what the show is. Yeah, and therefore we simply write anything. Yeah, yeah. I was considering calling my show this year an hour. <laughs> but then it's probably only 55 minutes it's yeah, yeah exactly minutes. exactly go, oh no oh, people are going to get upset I started to love comedy properly when I started doing those shows yeah and stopped trying to do 15 minutes of jokes I'm not great at it you've seen me Beth I'm not great at jokes <sighs> well I'm not I'm not I don't I'm not great I, I like to you ramble are. no yeah. I like to ramble about yeah. stuff I after a few tries 2013 started to love it yeah because I really like that ability to have 55 minutes 
with an audience to tell them what I want to tell them. Yeah. And I, from what I think is that when you started doing that with those shows, it seemed to me that you found your comedy. I did. And, well, because my first show was an hour-long story of, of me coming out, really. Because I'd never talked about being trans on stage before I did that show. And I told the whole story of that. I told the whole story of the transition of, of my parents' reaction, my family's reaction, uh, all the way through everything that went on. And, and that really sort of hit home and... Um, unfortunately, it was about 10 years too early for it to be cool. Um, <laughs> I often think if you did that show now with yeah, that yeah. title, yeah, it I would think, be completely different. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah. If I'd have done it, if I'd have done that show in 2016, yeah, then it, you know, I probably would have, it, it would have gone on to, you know, being taken off all over the world and, yes. and, and doing all those sorts of things. Unfortunately, in 2016, I did an entirely different show, which was very lovely. <laughs> um, I went really well, and it was, and that was. That for me was was my feeling of going in and going right. Okay, this this feels this is what I want to do. This yeah, because I decided I wanted to get off the circuit. Yeah, um, not for any other reason than it was as you said. You know the amount of times when you have to be on a stage when you have to share a stage with someone who's just gone on and made an entire room full of people laugh at stuff that's deliberately hurtful to you and people like you and you have to not acknowledge that at all backstage and just go on and do what you can in front of an in front of an audience mm-hmm. to show that it it hasn't affected you in any way and and the thing about that is it makes you dislike the people in the audience oh absolutely because you're like mm. oh, I want to like you and and also I have a pathological need to be liked by people. <laughs> so it's like That's I, why I'm here. I need I w- you to love yeah, me. Yeah, I want you to love me and yeah. I want to love you as well. But right now, I'm angry with you. I'm angry with you for not seeing through the trick that they just put. I mean, because uh, you know, as a comedian, the other thing is that every time you go on stage, it the first thirty or forty seconds I'm thinking, is this gonna be the night? Is this gonna be is this going to be the point when somebody sort of emperors new clothes me and stands up and goes, hang on a second, you're not actually funny. You're just saying things in an order and making people laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like that isn't just all it is. Yes. Um, and everyone go, oh, yeah, no, you are. That's absolutely right. You need to, you're, you're, you're no good at this. Um, but yeah, doing, doing hour long shows, that, doing that show, that really sort of made me go, right, okay, I can do this. And then I went back the next year and did another show um, that I probably shouldn't have done. Like, I started doing a show about how, like, me following, following my heart gets me into trouble. Was that Love Enough Court 45? Yeah, it was. And about, as well. Yeah, and, and about, and about two months before I went to the fringe, I realised that I had a massive drug and alcohol problem. <laughs> Well, wasn't that an inconvenient time to realise that? Yeah, it was. And so I suddenly had to like rewrite the entire show whilst trying to get sober, whilst also being completely insane. And so I was just... And so I tried to do the show, which was also quite a heartfelt and personal show about discovering things that you... About discovering that you have these conditions that you had just assumed were perfectly normal that you did things in the exact same way that everyone else did and and then having to try and do that every night for a month at five past eleven at the underbelly to crowds of people who couldn't get into the late night show spank 
Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was wholly unsuited for such. It was late at night. I remember it was yeah. late at night. Yeah, it was like five past eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. I would say too late. Yeah, it was far too late yes. for, for a show of that type. And so I played to like ten people a night for for a month. What's been quite interesting though. So I knew you then. Mm-hmm. Festival shows, circuit gigs, which mm-hmm. I stopped doing. Sorry, I haven't yeah. seen you. No, that's fine. Then you did something which was very beautiful, which was a... I always get confused. Banana. Banana, mm-hmm. which was part of the Cucumber... Trilogy. Trilogy. So there was the Russell T. Yeah. Davis show, and then there was kind of offshoots of it. There was Cucumber, and, and I, I watched it, and I thought it was incredible. Thank you. You, you're show was incredible and you were playing in that show yeah a trans character yes i was i was the first uh trans person to play a trans character in a leading role on british television and because it was because of the way that it was um it was already had a distribution deal for the u.s and because it was on network television i was the first trans person to play a trans character on u.s network television not bad yeah whatever then yeah. you were in Doctor Who, and then I was I in Doctor Who. I don't Who. even want to talk to you about and that. <laughs> I don't. I there is. I don't. Yeah, no. Because I, I quite like you, and yeah. that makes me hate you. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, oh, it makes me hate me. Do you know what the amount you've of been pe- on Doctor Who? Yeah, the amount of people when um, the amount of people who I, I it surprised me because it was that I been a Doctor Who fan. First television memory was uh, For to Doomsday. Uh, Peter Davison, and just been a Doctor Who fan for all of that time. Big Russell T Davies fan, and. And to then get cast in it, I was... You know that it's going to be the best thing that you're ever going to do and nothing's ever going to compare to it again. So it's... You know, my life has been downhill since then. Yeah. Lovely to talk to you about Doctor Who, Beth. Let's and can on. only be downhill. Um, <laughs> it's all I ever want. Here's a question. Yeah. Both of us, this yeah. is no disrespect to either of us, mm-hmm. had good careers. Yeah. Stoughting along, quite happy. Mm-hmm. But we could quite happily leave our houses... Without anybody going, that's that comedian. Yeah. But through a combination of what I've done and what you've done, yeah, uh, people will recognise you now. Yeah. Now, I find it quite interesting for someone with... If I'm feeling bad, mm. if I'm having a bad day and I still have to go out, I know I have to smile. I know I have to be nice to people. I, and in a way, it makes it more complicated when you're having a bad time. Yeah. Do you feel that now when you go out as a more pressure affects you more? It doesn't, it doesn't. It it does in certain ways. Because one of the great things is because of Doctor Who, the thing that I did in Doctor Who, which is the thing that people recognise me for, um, I had a big full face tattoo. So a lot of people don't recognise me from that. I, I, I've been stood next. Like I've, I will occasionally go into comic book shops and just stand next to things with my face on it just to see if anyone recognises me. Um, and... It's 50-50 whether or not they will do. But people do. And and it's that thing of recognising when... It suddenly makes going outside of the house part of your job. That's what it does. It makes going outside. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Become a part of the job. Like, it used to be my job was driving to a place and then being on stage and then driving home again and and now it also includes people coming up to me and wanting to ask me questions when I've just had a fight with my partner in the supermarket that's it I had a fight with my wife the other day and I was crying and we were going mm-hmm. to the gym and I had to stop crying because I couldn't cry because then that lady off Strictly would have been having a fight with her wife yeah and it was really annoying because she was my wife was being totally wrong about everything and I wanted to just shout at her yeah sharply you're being stupid yeah it was my fault um, yeah. but you have to you have to stop you can't do it can't as, do it as my partner Sana always says I don't know why you're getting angry at me you're just making this relationship harder on yourself <laughs> yeah. when it comes to uh, my anxiety and depression I found talking about it helped I found CBT helped yeah have you ever gone to therapy? Yes, I have. I, um, I'm i currently on a waiting list to get psychotherapy because um, it turns out that I have PTSD. Right. Um, which a lot of it comes from getting attacked quite a lot as a, as a teenager. Um, and and as a result of that, I find it really difficult. I can't. I don't get on public transport. I can't. I can't get buses. I can't get trains. I can't get tubes. I, you know, I have to. I have to drive somewhere and then walk the rest of it. But I also panic about being outside quite a lot. So a, a lot of the time, I end up wearing headphones and sunglasses when I'm out. And um, and it's just it's a thing to just sort of like try and bring the world into something that I can control because that feeling of loss of control and, and having other people, you know, being able to, being able to just ruin your day with a single, the single comment or even a single look sometimes <laughs> just like, okay, everything's gone wrong. Like on, on the way walking, <laughs> I parked up and then started walking down and was like, right, okay, I'm panicking. I'm late. I'm in London. I don't know where I am. Right, I've got to get there. I've got to do this. And I was walking and I had my sunglasses on. I had my headphones on. I was listening to Albatross by Fleetwood Mac on repeat. Um, and and suddenly, as a group of teenagers walking towards me, so my heart rate races and and I suddenly went over on my ankle and and it was just that thing of like, of course I did at that point because I was panicking and and I saw this this group of teenagers walking towards me, which always terrifies me because it just takes me back to being a teenager and and having gangs of teenagers be horrible to me. Um, and it was just it was just that thing of like falling over and them laughing and me feeling so awful about it. And it's that thing that people don't get. Like I've been trying to thinking a lot about this and I've realised that I sort of. Partly I became a comedian because I love comedy and because when I was growing up, that was a thing that I could really connect with my dad with and and my brother. And um, and the other part of it is because I have an innate distrust of laughter. <laughs> I don't like it when people laugh at me uh, and I don't know why it is that they're laughing. And I 
don't like it, especially when I do know why it is that I, they're laughing and it's something that I didn't do on purpose. Very interesting. Yeah. Because I hate people laughing at me. Mm. Like, hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like people laughing at me if I've told them a joke. Yes. And I've given them permission to laugh at me. Yeah. But it comes again from, I think, from when I was younger and people laughing at me. Yeah, yeah. Because I would try and wear the right dresses at the school disco, but I never looked right. Yeah. And people would laugh at me. Yeah, it's... It's all. It sounds really, really stereotypical, but for me, it genuinely is pretty much all from my childhood. Yeah. My lack of self-confidence. Yeah. And those flashbacks to not feeling like a cool kid, like at the fringe. I never feel like yeah. a cool kid at the fringe. I don't either. And I, and yeah, and last last time was great because I was stopping with my pal Trish, who lives in Loch End and lovely uh she has nothing to do with the fringe whatsoever so it's just me and her in her flat for for a month and and i was home before midnight apart from the one night that i was doing late and live and then i was in the loft bar for about 20 minutes and then went nah, this isn't for me <laughs> this is not for me anymore and it was that thing of like because i used to drink and 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 do drugs and i that was like a social lubricant that was a way for me Partly that was a way for me to, it was partly a way for me to get over the, the crippling lack of self-confidence that I had. Um, and being able to do that and stay out all night and, and hang out with people and feel like I could be part of the cool kids. Mm. But never, I realised very young that I was never going to be one of the cool kids. I remember being at primary school and going, right, okay, I'm not one of the cool kids, but what I can do is I can make the kids that, have charisma that everyone likes I can become their best friend by making them laugh and if I can do that then I can kind of protect myself throughout school and that's that's pretty much that was a survival instinct that's what I did um, and so looking back at becoming a comedian and that it just seems obvious that that's what I would do How personal do you get in your shows? Oh ridiculously personal I tell like I remember uh, for Beth Becomes It, there's a story I told about the suicide attempt that, that went wrong. Um, and that came back because I was... <laughs> I, uh, I'd i met someone and I was chatting them up. And like we got chatting and bizarre... It just... We, we ended up getting really, really getting on all day. and we were, It was back and forth and back and forth. We ended up just sharing some really personal experiences. And I told her that story for the first time that I'd ever told anyone. And the pair of us just sort of sat there laughing about this failed suicide attempt. and I went I went over to um I went over to to see my friend afterwards went over to his house to sort of like you know decompress and debrief and we sat there smoking and drinking cups of tea and and chatting about stuff and I mentioned this and got to the end of the story and um the uh, my, my friend the comedian Michael J Dolan was uh, sat there and said do you talk about that on stage and I went no and he went, you should, because that's where the comedy is. That's find a thing you wouldn't tell anyone else. Find that thing that you think you're the only person that thinks and that you wouldn't tell anyone else and share it with a group of strangers. And that's where you'll find the art in what you're doing. And it was absolutely right. And that's what I've tried to do ever since then. That's why all of the shows that I've written, I mean, my, my club set stand up, touches on that a little bit i talk about ocd because i discovered 
I discovered I had OCD. It's one of these weird things. Like I always thought I was a hypochondriac, and it turns out I'm not. I've actually just got a lot of things wrong with me. <laughs> like genuinely and it's bizarre it's like uh, oh well I've got oh yeah do you know what I'm probably because that's part of my mental illness going no you're just putting this on you just want other people to think that you're something special because yeah like as if that makes me a cool kid like having all of these problems you've like got oh, a yeah. lot of initials PTSD OCD yeah, OCD. yeah, yeah not yeah. bad I um yeah I can't yeah and 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 so it was like I the way that I found out about it as well because it doesn't present itself in the way that you know that the OCD does on television and in films. It's it's lovely and visual when it's done that way. Um, and Straightening people, up mirrors. And yeah, like people that. have all yeah. of those things. And mm-hmm. my house is awful. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like my car is even worse. You can't have OCD. Your house is a mess. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. My car was so filthy that it once got uh, broken into, and the police thought it had been stolen and abandoned. Like they genuinely thought that someone had abandoned it in a back street in Manchester and emptied a bin in the back seat. And I had to act like that was a surprise when I went to get it back. Um, what have they done? Well, it's usually so lovely. Yeah, it's so perfect. And yeah, and because it turns out that it, because uh, I got, I've always had intrusive thoughts, and I've always had those th- thought processes where my brain is telling me to do to do horrible things that I really don't want to do, and have made me go, "Well, you're an awful person because you keep thinking this." Like, I've never been able to hold a newborn baby because my brain always just goes, "Drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, kick it under the couch," and. And it's just <laughs> horrible stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and and like I'll I'll get home from a gig and be convinced that even though it's gone perfectly well, that what's happened is I've been on stage and just said nothing but racial slurs for a full twenty minutes, and then told everyone in the green room that I hate them all, and then threatened the promoter, and then jumped in the car and hit someone on my way home, and that I'm just trying to convince myself that I haven't done that, and it's. It's horrible. So, like, cause I, I ended up going to the doctors about because I had I got dry skin on my on my hands and was think wondering what it was. I was like, I don't know, I don't know why this is happening. And she asked me a bunch of questions, and 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 one of them was like, Well, how how many times a day do you wash your hands? And I went, I don't know. I think I like, and I, I sort of counted it and went, oh, It must be about thirty or forty times a day. And she went, yeah, that is quite excessive. Like on stage, I say it's like 80 or 90 because 30 or 40 doesn't... It's not quite enough, is it? Not quite enough for not a joke. Quite enough it's not quite joke. enough for it to be nope. funny, is it? No. Nope. Uh, it, you know, it's... it's Not that, uh, audience, we exaggerate yeah. anything for your comedic <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> Ever, yeah, yeah. All of these things are one hundred percent absolutely. True well, you can accurate. trust us when we're on stage. Yeah, yeah. Completely. You can trust us when we're on stage. Like other than that, that is the only thing I've ever told a lie about. And my partner's not a nurse. But other than that, other than that, everything <laughs> Beth has ever said is absolutely true. Yes. Uh, yeah, a lot, and a lot of it is true. And it's, but it's, yeah. And and, and she asked me a bunch of other questions. So I ended up like because I was I was having a lot of difficulty. I discovered that I had anxiety. Um, because. When you've got something massive in your life that's weighing you down, that's like, because I, at the age of 80, uh, age of 20, I tried to kill myself a bunch of times because I just couldn't face up to the idea of what being trans meant. Um, because everything that I'd ever seen suggested that I would lose my friends and my family and that no one would want to have anything to do with me and that you know, I'd have to go and start again somewhere else. And so a big chunk of my teenage years was me attempting to make the people who I loved and cared about hate me 
in an attempt to make sure that they wouldn't care when I disappeared or or died. Mm-hmm. And I eventually reached the point where it was where, where it, it had got so bad that I was just trying to kill myself, like on a regularly every couple of days. And and after about two months of this and two months of just being like I wasn't there anymore, it was just it was I was completely dissociated. I was I was watching my life happen as if I was a third person in it. I I went to I went to my doctor and this is <laughs> this is how much of a liar mental illness is to you. Mm-hmm. I went to my doctor and went you should probably try and convince them that you're depressed because <laughs> you might be able to get some drugs out of this. And uh, obviously you're not depressed. Christ no. No. Uh, no. Ob- obviously what you're doing is you're trying to get attention. Um, so what you should do is go to them and tell them that I was self-harming. I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was in, I was, and I was in such a state and they sent, like they immediately went and sent a social worker and a psychiatrist around to see me at home like two days later, which I found out later is because that takes two people if they want to section you under the mental health act. And I was sat in my lounge chatting to them and they said, why do you think you feel like this? And I can remember... I can remember everything about the lounge. I can remember everything I was wearing, just sitting there and looking at the floor and thinking, this is it. You have a choice right now. You can you can tell them. You can tell them that you're trans or you can lie and end up in a psychiatric hospital because they are you, it was clear that at they that were point, had you had you told anyone? Um, I told... I'd, occasionally when I'd got drunk, it was one of those things I got really drunk and I'd tell people and then the next day go, God, I don't know what I was saying that for. Right. Um, so you were you were at that point, though, isolated alone, yeah. considering the implications of saying what was what is, and back then even more so, I have mm. to say, a huge thing. Yeah. No wonder you were feeling like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And being able to look at it from... From this time, you know, which, uh, but you know, I'm only in it to try and get into women's toilets. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, you know. if I have to, if I have to try and kill myself a few times and live life with twenty years of anxiety, yeah. so I can get in a lady's toilet. Totally you are worth playing it. the long fucking game, that Beth. Is, it is a long game. You have invested in this. I have. I've certainly put the hours in. You <laughs> put the hours in. <laughs> To be a sexual predator in a yeah, lady's toilet. Absolutely. I mean, I'd let you do it just because I think you've earned the right. I think I have after that. After all of the time, money and effort that I've put into this. And you know what? And, and I still have yet to, like, I still think statistically you are less likely to be assaulted in a toilet by a trans person than a member of Girls Allowed. I honestly <laughs> think that that is, that, you know, that is, I think that's just, that's just maths, yes. isn't it? And, I mean, um, yes, yes. <laughs> I I, tr- I find it. Uh, do you know? And do you know what? It's it's a, it's a really isolation and loneliness to me, and fear of yeah. being honest. We seem fearless yeah. on stage. Yeah, we've not always been fearless, no. and we are still not fearless. I still have fears about talking about how I feel. Oh God, yeah, about things. Yeah, and things are often bring stuff back up. And it's a constant battle. Yeah. I I still find it difficult to talk about being trans on stage, especially sort of club set type stuff. I find it a lot easier in shows where I know that people have come to see me. But like if I'm in if I'm in any sort of comedy club 
I find it difficult to talk about that because I do find it in that word that people use without thinking what it actually means, triggering. Um, in that I can start talking about it and if I read a news article or uh, the other day one of my really good, one of my best friends went and retweeted something and, and said, oh, this is a fantastic article. And it was just full of dog whistle stuff about how trans people are attempting to try and silence lesbians. And it's the Stop trying to silence me, Bethany. I know. You're so oppressive. I know. Go and hang I? out a toilet or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. I know. Check me out. Yeah, like trying to trick lesbians into going out with me and that. Like <laughs> You did show me a card trick and I was taken by it. I know, it, exactly. Bethany. It was yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. I often talk to you about things yeah. because I I've 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 asked you before, I've been confused by the cisgendered stuff. Yeah. Because it's not terminology I grew up using. No. So I don't, I'm still not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Trigger warnings are fascinating to yeah. me. Now, we have discussed, being very honest with you, Bethany, mm-hmm. whether or not this podcast needs a trigger warning. Yeah. Now, I'm of two minds. Yeah. We're talking about mental health and depression. Occasionally we talk about suicide, a bit of self-harming, yeah. just the light stuff. Yeah. Sometimes if a trigger warning is put on something, it makes it seem like it's going to be more serious than it actually is. Yeah. How do you feel about trigger warnings? Do you know what? I'm not a massive fan. Of, I mean, it's difficult because... Sorry, before we go any further, let's explain what they are to an audience yeah. that might not know. Trigger warnings are... I'm it, asking you to explain because I still don't understand. <laughs> I ask you to explain everything, it's, Bethany. It's almost it's 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 easier to kind of explain what they're not because they are not what people think of or trigger warnings. Oh, what trying to trying to protect people, trying to trying to make people like stop being so uh, sensitive about things. It's not about that. It's um, for someone like me who has PTSD. What happens is if I if something if I have something that triggers me, what happens is that I get a trauma response. Is that I and I completely relive the moment that I was in previously. So I, and one of the reasons that I don't always find trigger warnings particularly useful is because they rarely are the thing that you would think. So talking about suicide, yeah, it doesn't make me feel suicidal. Talking about getting beaten up on public transport doesn't make me scared, doesn't freak me out. However, a smell, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. colour, the sound, just a, a sound that you can't even describe to someone else things like that that can just suddenly put you back in that moment um and they can be completely unrelated they can have nothing to do with it whatsoever um that just you know you remember you see somebody wearing a color or a pattern that you saw at some other point and suddenly your heart starts racing i think as far as trigger warnings go that i mean there are things that are obvious because it's it's to protect people who have already gone through a lot rather than People don't want to hear about this. We shouldn't. People should be. Uh, people should have to hear about everything that's gone on. He's like, no, no, no. I see. My theory is that if it's a, ment- a podcast about mental health and depression, they'll yeah. probably know that we're talking about mental health and depression. Yeah. However, that's not your fault if they don't. No. If they haven't figured that out by I've the time so you get to. So many arguments with people about apologising for things. <laughs> I get very angry when you have to apologise for everything. Yeah. Like if you say. Hey, guys are great. Oh, 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 and women. Yeah. I, 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 and everyone else. And I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, that's why I get tied up in knots because I sometimes feel terribly guilty. Do you know what it is? This is why people sometimes were afraid to talk about gay people yeah. and now trans people. Yeah, yeah. What do I call you? 
Is yeah. that your wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get so caught up in terminology. They do. And they forget. That they're concerned. Yeah, they do. And they forget to treat people like people. Yes. Which is the thing. They come, and it's, it, it goes back to that idea of treating people as thought experiments. Um, you know, when you, when you, almost every day in the press, there is something which is anti-trans. And there is something that has people, like the article in The Guardian that was the other day went and ran with a, I'm paraphrasing it, but it pretty much said both trans people and women are victims of male violence. And one of my friends was like, well, how is that offensive? And it's like, well, because it's suggesting, like it's implicitly suggesting that the two groups are mutually exclusive. And that no matter what happens, you're not a woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can. No matter what you've been through. Yeah, no no matter matter how many toilets you hang around outside, you're not a woman. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because of you know and, and it's, it, someone raised a really good point the other day that I, I read and went yeah this is it because I was trans before I came out I was gay before I came out I was gay before I realised that I was gay I was trans before I realised that I was trans I have always been trans so I have grown up as a trans girl and then as a trans woman even though everyone else assumed that I was cisgender male until I was about 18 um, it doesn't matter what other people have thought of you up until that point. And, and so that's where that thing comes from. It's like, well, you're not a woman. Well, I am. I'm a trans woman. And and if you're not, if you are a woman and you're not trans, then you're a cis woman. It's just, it's because it, oh, one of my friends gets really annoyed with the term cis because apparently I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, which, because <laughs> she's a Latin oh, scholar. Oh, so that's what we've got to get yeah. annoyed at now. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. her as a Latin scholar. She's like, it's more, it's more pronounced kiss. I was like, kiss. Oh, come on now, no. Kiss just gender. There's oh, too much birth in there. That I can't survive awful. in the new world. <laughs> I know, I can't either. That is too much, that is too much too far. Um, and it's, I did a bit in my last show about it, about how it's because we don't use cis as a as a term as a prefix for for very many things other than cistern um because all it means is on the same side as that's yes. it's you know it comes from the latin cis and trans and, and and that is all it is and people get really so i'm a cis woman yeah you're a trans woman yeah yeah we are both women let's call the, the whole, whole thing, thing off we could form a venn diagram of <laughs> women which we're both in yes. and then trans women which and i'm lesbians. in we're both yeah. lesbians. Uh, lesbians yeah yes. we could have like a little we could have a three-way venn diagram we could also do a sitcom called yeah. the two lesbians <laughs> um before we finish off yeah, bethany sure. i always like to leave the last word to whoever it is that mm-hmm. i'm talking to yep anything you want i don't know who's listening to this show okay depressed people not depressed people people on the bus Whatever. So, say what you want. This is your last word. What do you want to say? Depression, trans, anything? Uh, I think the thing that I really... I think the thing that's really important for me to recognise, the thing that has been difficult for me to recognise is as I've got older and I've realised quite the, the length and breadth of my mental health challenges that I have is to be a lot easier on myself. That is the number one thing that I... I need to do is to allow myself to be okay with the fact that there are things that I can't do and there are things that I can do and there are times when I should push myself and times when I shouldn't push myself and I won't know when those times are um but what whichever I choose I should be a lot easier on myself because so much of my day-to-day 
difficulties come down to me being really disappointed in myself and worrying that everyone else is going to be disappointed in me when they've got their own things to worry about you know each day is a new attack is you've got a whole new horizon of things to disappoint people over but most people don't care what is actually going on inside your head and you've just got to you know you've got to be able to deal with that you've got to be able to accept it self-acceptance is one of the most important things to be able to get through couldn't agree more couldn't agree more accepting who you are enjoying who you are challenging who you are but ultimately saying this is it yeah this is it yeah, this is it, and it's no big deal. This mm. is it. This is what you got. Yeah, and it's all right, and I'm okay. I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't wait till we make the sitcom pilot. Just yeah. you and me in a flat. It's been repossessed by a landlord because it looks like we've abandoned <laughs> it because we've been at the fringe. No water, no electricity. But having fun. It'd be like a lesbian waiting for Godot, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly like that. I can't see how someone will not buy that, Bethany. Yeah, I think at Sky Atlantic at the very least. Oh, Sky Atlantic would love that one. Worst case, scenario, worst case scenario, Sky Arts. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. As yeah. long as three people see it, we'll yeah, be okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Cheers, Beth. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcast from, and then you'll automatically get next week's episode. Next week, I'll be talking to Mark Watson. For a lot of people, it is as simply as, look at her dancing, she, she must have a great life. What, yeah. So then what is she complaining about? It's like the woman who came up to my wife from the toilets of the Stand Comedy Club and went, must be a laugh a minute living with Susan. It's and amazing. I've never seen my wife laugh so much. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> people have said that to me as, or yeah. to, to people around me as well. Yeah. I bet he's fun to live oh, with. Oh, he must things. be a great laugh, eh? <laughs> no, he definitely is not. <laughs> yeah. If you like the show, do leave us a review as that will help other people find it too. And if you want to get in touch, then you can email mrsbrightside at bbc.co.uk. And finally, we know this podcast talks about things that might have affected you or someone you know personally. If that's the case and you'd like some further info, head to the Mrs Brightside page on the BBC website and we'll put up some links to places you might find useful. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, Calman out. Hello, my name's Josie Long and I present Shortcuts, which is also made by the BBC and available as a podcast. You strike me as somebody who already knows how to access podcasts. You're not going, what's a podcast? Well, it's like a radio show, but you carry it around on your iPod. What's an iPod? I don't feel like that's you. We would love it if you gave us a try. Short documentaries for radio on a theme. It's like a longer documentary, but better, more time efficient. If that sounds like something you're interested in, please subscribe to Shortcuts, however you normally get your podcasts. We promise you, you will not regret the decision. And if you do, we will probably have no way of knowing that. I guarantee. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.